Welcome to another episode. We're still exploring beauty and love in season five. I always say this, but I am actually super pumped today because Emily has joined me and we have Nisha with us, which is super exciting. They're going to call me something besides Claire. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Only privileged people can call me by this name. I think this is super exciting because obviously you two have met before, but it's really cool when like two of your really, really close friends come together. And I every time, like I'm really excited about this conversation because every time I talk to Baram about something I'm like oh she should talk to Nisha about this yeah you said that yeah. yeah I always <laughs> yeah. I always bring this up I'll talk to Nisha I'll be like oh my god you should talk to Baram so like it's really cool having like all of us here together yeah yeah I'm really excited too because I think there's something powerful with all of us being women of color and having yeah. a conversation about beauty like Emily said they're very like intermittent conversations I have with people like my friends that are of color and it's very inspiring to just be with all of us here so I'm excited yeah yeah, for sure. And it's so funny because whenever I leave Emily a voice note, whether it's always, always something of, like a race rant. And then inevitably, it's always a race rant. And then Emily's like, oh, my God, you have to talk to Nisha. I'm like, oh, yeah, I should. But I don't know how you get to feel about this, but I feel like it's only as of late that we've, quote unquote, gotten permission. And when I mean us, I mean East South Asian Americans are allowed to quote unquote allowed to talk about this because previously I mean race is still seen as black and white so when you like voice a race rant as an East Asian as a South Asian it's still kind of perceived like why are you complaining why are you talking about this like a little bit so I felt really hesitant amplifying how I felt and asking people to join me who were East and South Asians but now I'm like no that's so messed up like, yeah. how, how do you how do you two feel about that? I really resonate with that because it does feel very dismissive. Like a lot of rants that I send Emily are, or I call her literally like after or during a work meeting or after a work meeting or something. I'm not working anymore, but like I would call her and be like, hey, like this is what happened. And I felt so dismissive. And I talk about how race dynamics plays a role in the meetings that I'm in and my workspace and my full time like school space. And you're right, like it does feel dismissive. So that's why getting this invite to talk about with both of you on this felt very empowering because I was like, wow, like, I don't feel dismissed at all. Yay. <laughs> yeah, it's very interesting because, like, the racism that we get is not the same type of racism that usually occurs between white and black people. Mm -hmm. And then as, like, Asian women, we're seen stereotypically in that, like, submissive role. So we're like, right. are we even allowed to talk about this? Like, because, like, so sometimes the racism is definitely, or most of the time, I would think, not as bad as the racism that you see in the media. So we're like, well, is my problem as bad as this other person? But, you know, it's still a problem that needs to be discussed. Yeah. That's how they get you, Emily. That's how they I get know. you. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then for now, it's just like, yeah, I'm going to talk about it. It's still a problem. White supremacy has cemented the model minority myth and the good immigrant. I don't know if you two read the books like The Good Immigrants. There's a USA version and a UK version because as you know, like I feel like this race talk is very US dominant right now. Mm -hmm. so I feel like mm -hmm. other countries need to like, I don't, I'm not, I'm not the master, but in my experience, I feel like, oh, every, everything's kind of following the US because it is kind of the cultural epicenter of kind of like these topics. Okay, I don't know, that's like another subtopic in itself, mm -hmm. but I mean, it all relates though. Like this bleeds into beauty and love, which is why we're talking about it. But I think, you know, it would just be nice to hear like, how 
well, I know how you two met, but I think it'd be nice to hear like how you two met. Funny enough, Emily and I were trying to figure out how we met <laughs> and we can't remember. So that means that the friendship is long and fantastic. Wait, earliest... I thought it was at school, sorry. Yeah, so the earliest memory in Emily, like feel free to jump in, that I have mm -hmm. of Emily being my best friend in the entire universe was fourth grade. Mr. Oh. Murphy's class and we had to we were paired I don't know if we chose each other but we were paired to create a song about how to light a light bulb something about a circuit and then I think we had the option of either recording it or performing it in class and I think originally we were going to perform it one way or the other but we were like never mind and we decided to record it <laughs> and that tape is somewhere lost in my house and I really really have to find it because I I'm pretty sure it's adorable. Oh my god, yeah, I love to watch that. Sounds really freaking cute. But yeah, Nisha, tell, tell us about how you grew up and what kind of messages of beauty and love you received. I received a lot of mixed messages. So mixed messages in terms of like, I learned and was really well acquainted with white culture because of my like our school, Emily and I went to was majority white is majority white, I should say rather. That was like juxtaposed, like my parents are immigrants and they took me to temple a lot. They took me to Sunday school and Sunday school in, when I was growing up, wasn't like you learn about, it's not, it's not like a Catholic Sunday school where you learn about religion and you talk about religion and you learn about prayers. So I've heard from other people's experiences. It's more of like learn a language and learn about the history of India. Mm. So that's where, what I was learning and I went to dance class, like the Indian, I did Bharatanatyam. So I was like immersed in this brown community on the weekends and then my Monday through Friday was white culture so it was a very <laughs> juxtaposed experience um, my mom would always and my dad I think as well I remember more my mom like just telling me focus on school like not so much on your beauty and your looks just keep your hair long that's what I remember the most. <laughs> yeah. so that's been like my experience with beauty growing up and definitely been a lot for me to unpack as I've gotten older yeah, t tell me more about that. Like, what did you have to unpack? Even in the South Asian community that I experienced was with, white culture was still there. So I remember everyone had, if they didn't, they bought a straightener, straightened their hair, so it was pin straight, including me. I remember even going to temple and like, you know, boys are such a taboo when you're younger. And if you're, you know, if you like boys, that is. And that's such a taboo. And having a crush is such a taboo. I remember liking guys and um, them not liking me and I remember like very distinctly a few guys that like even at South Asian community just telling me like hey actually like you're not light enough and I actually oh, like person wow. yeah and they're like actually like person x and person x is more closer to a wider skin and that crushed me like really hurt and that happened also uh in the school experience too so in my monday through friday white dominated school i felt like my hair wasn't straight enough i wasn't light enough um and comments that have indicated that have definitely supported that like a couple months ago i think emily and uh, our other friend becca had come and i found my middle school journal and i told them like this girl actually like had the audacity to call me an Asian freak. And like, she talked about my appearance and like why this white guy didn't like me associating that with Asian freak. And I was like, that stuff, I forgot about that, but that's the type of stuff that I'm glad I wrote because that impacts me still today. So it's like yeah, also it trying to remember things. So it's like trying to remember the things that happened, whether it's subtly or, or overtly and figuring out like, well, what happened and how did that play a role in how I see myself today? Oh my God, was, was, that, was that girl white? Yes. Oh, why is it always the white girls? Come on. Well, okay. I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this to 
Emily, but it's so funny how we do this within our own cultures. Because I mean, yeah, I went to Korean school on Saturday. You know, like similar situation. I, Emily, did you go to Chinese school? I did. Oh yeah, to of course. Point, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I just remember, you know, like I'd have crushes on dudes, and I I couldn't help but notice like they either liked white girls or very light skinned Korean girls, and I didn't actually register that at the time. I just remember this one one boy. He was like, yeah, I like I like girl X, but yeah, no. She's she's not with the trend or something like that. I'm like, what does that even mean? But it meant like she wasn't light enough. I'm like, how does this get invoked so early on? And it's like across all POC cultures. Yeah, I'm trying to recall. So I did go to Chinese school, but then I quit after a while to pursue my different <laughs> instruments and stuff. And like the other like dance and extracurricular activities. I don't recall having like heavy crushes, maybe like very fleeting ones. Although I will say that I don't think I can blame that specifically on how I looked because I know I I was a very reserved person and like you know for me to interact with people especially of the other sex like even even I wasn't even close to any of the girls really so like it made sense that nobody had a crush on me just because like I never wanted to interact with them in the <laughs> and then I think generally I haven't had crushes on Asian men <laughs> so I don't Ooh, think yeah. I have much to speak on this subject, or at least specifically what we've been talking about right now. I've definitely had crushes on Asian men. I've had crushes on everyone. And <laughs> I think like the most like receptiveness, I don't know if that's even the right word, but I've gotten more reciprocity, that's the word I'm looking for, um, mm-hmm. from men of color overall. And now I'm at the point in Dang. my life where like, I don't, I don't, I don't find white men attractive. And I think that has to do with a lot of, you know, I know, I know, Borum and Emily. <laughs> oh my God, no, I love it. Please keep going. It's just so honest. And no, I just we don't. need this, yeah. I don't. And I think that has to do with a lot of, like I said, I'm still, it's so hard to unpack like what happened when I was younger that my memory has chosen to protect me and help me forget, which now I'm like, well, this comes from somewhere. And reading my old diaries, I'm like, well, that's one instance, the Asian freak comment from the white, like white girl at that point about the white boy that I liked. It's stuff like that, that I'm assuming that has happened continuously. So, you know, Emily, it's, I'm on the other spectrum. I'm like, you know, men of color. like I like men of color. You know what's funny is that I I would try to go for men of color. I mean, I think I've been kind of societally conditioned not to like Asian men for some reason because they... I mean, now they're deemed quote unquote sexy, which is so bizarre, but a hot face is a hot face. Like, mm-hmm. you know, but anyways, but I wouldn't get that reciprocity. Like when I was living in Korea, I would, I would try, but like, no, I just got noped. I couldn't even try. So it was, I got more white attention, which is so weird. Like, do you think to a certain degree, well, maybe not for you, Nisha, or maybe, I don't know. Do you think our love is also colonized? If that makes sense. It does. <laughs> My short answer is yes. Um, oh, I'm great. Kinda, I, I do think that and my long answer would that's that's the impact I'm trying to do so I don't I think it is and it's really hard we're impacted subliminally with social media TV whatever we were watching when we were younger like all that plays a role in colonization the people white people yeah. knew what they were doing and, and what oh, they yeah. are doing yeah so it's a lot of like it's it's such an everyday thing that my short answer is yes and I think we get impacted and influenced in so many subtle minute ways throughout our entire lives up until this conversation and past that yeah I, I mean I, th- I think you're right I was actually thinking about because we were talking about like being re- essentially rejected from other like men of color and then I was like <laughs> okay well I've only liked white guys I do distinctly remember though especially in my middle school even high school years white guys would like me specifically because I was Asian oh. and then 
you know, how they consider you exotic. And then looking back on that, when I was young, I was like, oh, cool, I'm exotic. But now I was like, wow, that's stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's conditioning. Yeah, it is conditioning, especially when you're like, you know, one of maybe five Asian people total in your like school. Yeah. Wow. It's stupid. Like I never thought about it, but I'm like, wow, that's dumb. Oof. Got deep, but <laughs> I mean, we don't, but we, that's the thing. Like we don't have, I mean, I think it's only recently that these conversations are getting like more normal. I mean, it ha- mm-hmm. it is always normal, but, and it's kind of like, we're only starting to unpack it now, but mm-hmm. I mean, we've already made the majority of our adult decisions. I think it's just so messed up that a lot of our earlier childhood actions have been influenced by colonization, not to be too dark. Mm-hmm. I don't find that dark. I find that like a hard reality. It's hard for me. It's a reality to face because it does impact how, at least I make decisions. I can only speak for myself. It impacts how I make decisions, my own preferences and my own subconscious. So at this point, it's colonization has colonized so well oh yeah i mean i I think we need like a separate episode on colonization (laughs) yeah it's it's everywhere and but i guess like sort of among that did you have beauty and love role models as you were growing up to look up to um i did i had i had bollywood actresses i remember my favorite actress her name is i'm gonna tell her by name her name is kajal and i love her and i still love her because when i watch the movies that she's in she to me represents like my even my current like ideal or not ideal but like my current like view of beauty like in the movies when i watch her in the 90s she has she doesn't have some movies she has straight hair some movies she doesn't and the movie she doesn't like it's her natural hair and I love it and it's wavy and it's puffy and it's almost similar to like what my hair looks like right now um and big and I love that and I loved that also when I was younger about her and then her body looks real like in a few movies like she'll have like unhealthy but she had it's not but she's not unhealthy she also has like a human real body <laughs> that is shown on these Bollywood movies where like she has a little bit of a tummy but it's not like I'm a, I have a tummy because she, she has a tummy because she's a human being yeah she's alive like, <laughs> yes exactly versus like some other Bollywood actresses I've seen where it's like they'll wear like these Indian outfits or these tight outfits period and you'll see nothing and those are the kind of things that are continuously talked about in at least when I was growing up in the brown community of like well you know like this actress has like straight hair and no hips and very skinny and no tummy and this actress does and like you know I don't like this actress because I'm trying to aspire to the actress that you know looks like what white culture has said is appropriate the skinny the straight hair the no tummy and I was like okay but I look like Kajal like I love her like I love her in in like the movies that I've seen her and that's just something that's always stuck out in my mind even as I've grown up and I've rewatched the movies and I'm like I feel this affinity towards her she just looks she in like most of her movies looks so real where I'm just curious like where when did you two get the confidence to like like what you like everyone thinks being light is good but I don't care I'm gonna own it like did you feel like you got got to that point when you were growing up I I think I was always pretty shy growing up I mean I don't think I actually really came out till or like came out to be more confident until late high school or or actually probably even past high school but like late high school definitely helped because I had actually 
actually gotten a summer job at Victoria's Secret Pink where they make you talk to every single person that comes in. And before I would never even ask someone on the street for like help or like whatever. Like I, I would die before I talked to somebody else because it was just like so nerve wracking to me. Mm-hmm. But being forced to talk to complete strangers about underwear, you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. this, this is fine. So I, I, it became easier for me to talk to people when I got to college. I think, you know, you spend so much time or at least I spent a lot of time by myself, you know, either studying or because I had lived by myself and it kind of made me more independent because I had to be, you know, at this point, you're too exhausted to live up to everybody else's standards. So you're just like, I'm just going to do everything that I want to do. If my hair looks crazy, you know what? It looks crazy. I don't care what you think because you're just tired. And I think that it grew from just being exhausted and not wanting to do it to being like, I'm comfortable and I'm happy with how I am. So it doesn't matter what you think. And I think that just evolved from that to now. I mean, I think it was a very slow growth, I think. But once like college hit, just went like pretty straight up being like, this is me and I'm good with this. and I'm happy with it. Yeah, that's how I met you as well. You've always just been like, oh, no, whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I'm too too tired. I'm not going to do it. (laughs) (laughs) I love that about Emily. Like you could be like, you could tell her something crazy and she'll be like, oh, whatever. They're lost. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, I'm still trying to reach that point. So I'm making the choices and it's just the confidence uh, has to be Mm. for me at least fake and then I'll call friends or I'll talk to my partner and I'll be like okay so this is how I'm really feeling (laughs) (laughs) I made this choice please help or like please just listen to me or please like listen to where I'm coming from and understand me so it's still a process for me so I'm if I'm able to pick a specific point um, college would be when that transition happened for me where like I'm making this choice while I do care what people say I'm going to stick by my choice And I think slowly that part of like, what I do care about what people say, that has slowly started to fade away. And now I'm at the point where like, it really depends who those people are now uh, of what, of like, if I'm gonna care what they have to say. And like, like an example could be like my parents. I really do care what they have to say. Sometimes my choices may not reflect the things that they wish for me. Mm -hmm. And it's about now like being confident in my intuition and my gut and my choices and my decisions in the face of people who I love and care the most. So college was really that time for me where I started to make my own choices and my own decisions. I think my parents were very fantastic parents and there was a lot of choices that I didn't necessarily have to make um, because they made them for me or they really guided me through making them. And college is when it was like, well, you're on your own, figure it out. And so that's what I did. Wow. I mean, I know both of you have both of you have um, different cultural exposures and different interactions. Do you think that's like impacted your perceptions of beauty and love? For me, love is also love. Like I see love as love in myself and how much Mm -hmm. do I love me? And I think that's played a role. Like they're intertwined. Beauty is intertwined with how much I love myself. And that's something that I'm really working on of like, well, you know, maybe in the sixth grade when you had that crush on that white guy and he thought you weren't beautiful, like that doesn't matter now. Like you're where you are now and you're Mm. so beautiful. And it's like finding the beauty within myself mostly Mm. and loving myself for it. And I've noticed that when I've loved myself the most, that's when I've had, that's when I felt good in a workspace or even in a school space. So it does play a huge role. And I think there are moments where when I first started, I used to be a school administrator and I first started my job, I wasn't 
very sure of myself. I wasn't very sure of how to do the job because it's very, it was very difficult. I had done teaching for such a long time and I was good at that and I was getting better at that because I don't think any teacher is ever best teacher ever, um, but it's always a work in progress. And I was getting even better and I was, and I love students, I love kids. And transitioning into a school administrator role was really hard for me because not only was I loved myself because I loved who I was when I was working with students and then I have to find a new way to love myself and find like even as I'm transitioning to work with more adults like how can I be confident in not only like my appearance because you know professionalism um, and I do have a very interesting way of dressing sometimes but then interesting in a professional way not like <laughs> kids um, but then also it was confidence of like well I'm working with adults and I love myself enough to know I'm sure of myself and if I'm not sure of myself it's okay that I make mistakes and that became hard to translate out as I transitioned into the school administrator role my first year specifically because I, you know, going back to what I said earlier, I really struggled to parse out like who should I care about the most and what they have to say about my choices. Um, so it's always ever evolving. I feel like I'm never at a place where I'm like at the epitome of loving myself, but I, I try to catch it or I, I feel like I'm lucky because I surround myself with people who help me catch it when I'm not loving myself the most. Yeah, that's so important. Like, I mean, community and support are just, it, it makes such a huge difference like who's who's around you i well so i went from undergrad to working as a lab tech to being a grad student and i'll be graduating next year hopefully Yay. Um, <laughs> i i recently or maybe not so recently but like in the last year started dating again and i hadn't realized before that i had been single for maybe like six years because it just it never occurred to me <laughs> that i could well i don't know because i was really busy and whether or not i knew it i was actively working on myself um i still wouldn't say that i'm super confident especially in the professional sense just because like i don't know being a phd student you do have that imposter syndrome you're always really really like other smart people so you always feel like oh maybe i don't know as much as you know this other person or whatever so you're always questioning something that's part of the phd experience where you're always asking yourself questions and so you end up with more questions than answers so that is something that i'll have to work on for myself but i think the nice part of being single for such a long time is that you don't feel like you have to have somebody. Um, I think the best relationships are formed when you don't need somebody, you just want them in your life. Yeah, so like I think in terms of beauty though, like I've never had to be, or very, very few times I've had to like dress, because being a graduate student, you can wear essentially whatever you want to wear as long as, you know, you're you're covered for like lab safety purposes. Um, so it's always been really nice and because I already came in feeling like pretty good about myself, like I was like, I don't need to dress up for you. I just need to dress <laughs> up in a sense where this is okay. <laughs> and so I, and yeah, so I don't really know. So in terms of beauty, I don't think it's affected me all that much, especially because it's really cool that Brown, the department that I'm in is predominantly female. So that's really cool, you know, women in STEM. So like, well, I mean, given women don't dress up for other men, but a lot of women do dress up for other women, but I also don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so i'm just like i'm just gonna wear this because it's i mean you're in a lab like at least eight hours a day so it might as well dress comfortably yeah i can't help emily and hear you but um, i have like such a opposite i have a similar experience as you with my phd experience of like you know imposter syndrome but asking so many questions of myself especially because i've only done one year i'm not like a seasoned person like Chen over here um, so i hear you on that i haven't actually been in person for my school so i'm feeling a little like well how should 
I dressed as a PhD student. So like you were telling me how you all dress and you were telling me the questions that like you've considered. And I'm like, oh my God, I didn't even consider that. Like how should I dress when I open my first day of classes? But it does remind me of also like how different expectations are for what it sounds like for your cohort of people and your group. And like even my school experience. I remember wearing, like when I had said like I wore interesting outfits a little earlier, interesting outfits meant like I wore a dress. And sometimes that dress, like I have hips. And sometimes that dress like would hug my hips. And I just remember so clearly someone coming up to me, like a person I worked with coming up to me and being like, you know, you shouldn't wear that dress. It's really suggestive for kids. Yeah. And I'm like, but you do realize like teacher X over there has the same exact dress for me. And like they wore it on like a month ago, maybe. And no one said anything to teacher X, who is a white woman. Of course. Who doesn't have the hips that I have. It's like stuff like that. Like, you're right. Like, I feel like you really have to consider, or I really have to consider what I'm wearing because I don't want to be over-sexualized or deemed unprofessional. Um, Because the person had also said, like, it's really unprofessional for you to wear the dress like that because your hips, like, are really accentuated and kids. And I was like, I don't know how to interact with you right now. Um, it's so, and so weird that they said that. I'm sorry was this a woman or a man it was a woman oh okay but it's like sorry you noticed like, Wait, honestly, honestly so kids weird. don't even notice this stuff no they don't care they really don't care so it was really encouraging Emily to hear that like your community of women it sounds like and I could be wrong that your community of women don't give a crap where would you want just for our listeners can you just remind us what you're doing with your PhD you don't have to say where obviously just for our listeners oh I'm in like um the molecular cell biology department and so i work in a lab primarily i mean so like we could wear what we want because we're not really the only people i see are the other lab members really and like the pi every once in a while so like it's not that big of a deal if i'm not like you know wearing dress like no one actually wears dress pants in the lab because you know you might get it dirty i'm getting my phd in the education field for curriculum and instruction still asking myself the questions of like what field i want what field of education or aspect of education i want to concentrate in as of right now i have middle school english special education amazing amazing both of you seriously oh yeah i I feel like that's also (laughs) like a subtopic in itself like doing a phd as a woman of color maybe in the future (laughs) Um. oh so speaking of like women of color in phd field i was actually talking to emily about this when i first started applying for my phd program i for women who look like me and Mm. women of color in particular so it didn't necessarily have to be brown women but any woman of color and so on instagram and i looked up all these variety of hashtags and i found a lot of instagram pages for women in health science um, and very like women in general so like a lot of white women and a lot of different women of co- like women of color none in education now maybe <gasps> I didn't look yeah like, maybe I didn't look strong none in education I even looked up my friend who is a black woman she applied for a PhD program last year and she was telling me as well like yeah like Misha I've been, I was looking up all these hashtags as well and we didn't find a single person of color a woman of color nonetheless mm. who invested in uh some of the voice on Instagram at least to help us with our own journey. Yeah, but you shouldn't have to try that hard. It should be right there. I mean, I think that in itself says speaks volumes. Like you have to look up to the end of hashtag time on Instagram to try to like find someone. Wow. I don't know. I'm not surprised, but 
I am surprised, but not surprised at the same time. Yeah, I'm feeling very similar. So, but I do have to say, like, there is a shift that I am noticing in social media, at least, of like a lot of people of color, Black, Indigenous people of color, like just making the space for themselves. Yeah. Like, it's like no longer waiting for people, like white culture and white people to make spaces. It's like I've noticed a shift of like, well, I'm going to just make the space myself. That's been very inspiring to me. Yeah. And I mean, that's what we're doing now. And I know you're launching your blog with your experiences. That's exciting. Yeah, I am. Because I was like, I'm so tired of not being able to find these voices. And then I was like, well, why am I looking for them? I have a voice myself and experiences that I'm going through and stuff that I wish I knew. I do plan on launching that blog in August um, on Instagram. Because that way, like people who are trying to specifically like women of color who are trying to get into the education field or even the PhD field um, period have like these are the things I wish I knew um, before I applied and my first year so if I can share that with other people I would I want I want to do that and it's like stuff that I wish I had when I started my journey of PhD process so I figure instead of uh, trying to find it why not make the voice Yes, I love it. Yeah, making it accessible to more people. I mean, that's what it's all about. Like, it's not, I don't know. I mean, PhDs aren't like, what, what's like the stereotype? Like a really like old white dude in glasses, <laughs> like up in the corner. No, that's... That's not like who it should be about. So I love it. Yeah, when you launch it, we'll follow it for sure and sh- share Thank the you. share the link. So yeah, um, we'll have to have you back to like talk about that further. Yeah, I mean, I guess like just slightly changing topics. How do you two think women of color occupy beauty and love in the media? And actually, <laughs> I wanted to ask. I personally loved Never Have I Ever. I thought maybe it was because of the pandemic too. There were some cringy seat scenes because it is. I mean, it's meant we're not the demographic, right? But I just loved it loved how protagonist was a woman of color but yeah i mean i guess that's one example of how we're kind of getting more represented i don't know what, what do you two think about that so i so i've been addicted to tiktok recently or like <laughs> over the, the whole covid pandemic and i think the coolest thing about it is because it's so many people i mean it's a it's a public platform right so you don't have to be famous for anyone to see you because most of the time people just scroll through the for you page which is like random things popping up right and so i do see a lot of women and asian women being like hey we should normalize this and they talk about their different problems their different um you know like beauty standards for asian women beauty standards for other women of color and it's just really interesting because then you know, you can look at the comments section and there's like a huge conversation going. So even though people think TikTok is for like, you know, the younger generation, like a lot of interesting conversations are happening. And I think it's really good because it's also exposing other people to the realities and thoughts of women and women of color. And so I think it's it's definitely changing. Like I can see um, some changes happening already. Of course, big companies are going to respond to their consumers because they have to they have to you know appeal to the consumers yeah. like like i was recently um looking at the semi-annual sale of victoria's secret <laughs> and i was like scrolling through there were a lot more body types and like not a huge diversity in their models but you can definitely see that they're trying and like these models are also different weights you can see their like muffin tops and even stretch marks which you never saw before mm-hmm. so i think it's really going in a really nice direction like i did see like a lot of people getting mad that they got rid of the victoria's secret angels and then they're like this is so 
stupid because they have I forget what they are actually calling it, but they like have different types of role models now, like certain athletes and like political leaders and such. I think, and I think oh, that, I think really? that's really cool. Yeah, oh, wow. not leaders, but definitely activists in the field. Oh, okay, that's cool. so. I'll just like this is a really interesting change because it's definitely shifting the focus from pure physical nature to like some sort of extra talent like either physical or intellectual and I think it's really cool I mean this is given just like one aspect I'll, I will say one negative which may or may not be a negative I saw a commercial where it was I'm pretty sure it was for like for periods or something like the the flex loop or something yeah and they feature in Asian female probably in her 20s or 30s and she's really explicit about like sex and having sex like on her period I was thinking like I was wondering um it usually doesn't occur to me like race first thing but I saw it and I was like I wonder if they used an Asian woman for the shock factor of her talking about sex because I couldn't imagine that commercial working with a white a white female and so I was like I'm pretty sure that's what it was because it was it wasn't super vulgar but it was definitely very out there for a commercial and I was just like I really don't like it because it felt like I definitely have friends that talk like that um, even Asian friends that talk like that but seeing it on like I was like I don't really buy it and maybe maybe that was just me but I saw it and I was just like I don't buy this but I usually don't go there for things that I see it's not my first thought and I just saw it and I was just like Mm. So I think people are actively trying to include more people. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, I think like when Emily was talking about they are trying to include more people, I see it as like white people are trying to include more people of color, period. But I also see it as like people of color, black indigenous people of color as well. Like we are just like, F it. We're going to create our own space and we don't need to wait for your permission. Um, like you as in the white, white man, white culture. We don't need your permission to create the space. Like I think about music and there's so many avenues of music and albums that I love where it's just about empowerment. Solange's albums are fire. Like Rovina is fire. And she was like, I'm like, they were like, I'm going to make the space. Like I don't need someone to build another side of the table because here's my own damn table. And then I do think on the flip side, like the white, more white controlled media, like TV and commercials, they are trying to include more people of color. Like even during, you know, it's COVID times and even a little earlier when the vaccination came out, communities of color, black communities in particular, are very skeptical, rightfully so, about vaccinations because of all the, you know, history behind testing and health racism. And I noticed like the commercials on TV have shifted, at least in my in my area have shifted to incorporate doctors who are brown, black, and East Asian. And before, the commercials would just be white men, white women. Yeah. And I was like, hmm, I noticed noticed what you're doing. Like, you're pretty (laughs) slick, aren't you? Like, I see that. Like, And in the commercials, they'd be like, well, I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. I'm a doctor. And you say you should get the vaccine. And it's like, okay, well, this was a little more manipulative. Absolutely. Well, you know, I can't help but feel when I, whenever I see, honestly, anything, commercial, movie, whatever, and I see a person of color, um, if... Okay, I'll, I'll just I'll just give Lupin as an example. Um, also saw that very attractive man, but I couldn't help. Too. But yeah, like, I was like nervous for him because 
I just know that white people have so much representation that they can do shows like they can do shows and films on fantasy. Like we have not gotten there yet. We need we need like to put out crap films and like reality TV and like whatever. This is like the first time I kind of feel like, oh, I can like talk about this. But whenever like their feature, I immediately get nervous that the white gaze will label them like, oh, so all black people are like that. Oh, all, all Asian people are like that based on this one yeah. show. Cause you know that there are plenty of white people out there who've never like stepped outside of their comfort zone and being like, I saw this one show and on that show, that Chinese person was doing X, Y, Z. It's like, bro, but then if we label that for like, I don't know, like a Norwegian show, God forbid we do that. I rant about this all the time. It's just so like infuriating. And that's why I think I was quite nervous when I was watching Ever Have I Ever. And then I was just so pleased after i watch it because it was so freaking funny and it, the cast was majority yeah. like people of color so yeah that's how i feel about like kim's convenience have you seen oh. that on netflix oh my god oh my, i was like on edge the entire time but yes no dive, dive into it <laughs> i what you were saying i felt that same way about like never have i ever and kim's convenience because if you you've seen the show emily have you yeah. seen it i have not you should the, yeah it's it's amazing it's so funny and heartwarming everything and the main character the, the parents of the main character i guess they're all main characters so the yeah. parents in the show have heavy korean accents and yeah. if you were to google like any awards show that they won awards for they don't have those accents and I was like, you know, I, I just wonder what the perception is for people who are watching this and they're like, oh, well, in the show, they're immigrants. They're like, oh, well, every immigrant talks in this type of way, this type of accent and this type of English. And maybe I have to do, you know, and I'm just thinking like, well, what? I also wonder like what stereotypes are being reinforced by someone watching this who may not be so aware of what's aware of their own prejudices and biases. But on the flip side, I love the representation. And I loved watching it. And I felt, I felt like I'm a brown woman, but I felt seen and I felt heard. <laughs> and I was like, this is like some of these immigrant experiences that the children are facing. I have faced them as well. And I thought that show did a lot for me. So I was like, I'm going to not think about what other people may perceive it. And I'm going to choose to just think about how I perceive it. And like, of course, others that are talking to me about it. I think, sorry to jump in, Emily. I think um, also it does, like for Never Have I Ever, you know, like... <laughs> I think Mindy Kaling um, hired, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure from what I read, she did hire a diverse set of writers for that show. So going into it, I already had high expectations. Like, okay, I, I, I think, because um, the Mindy Project, it was majority white male authors, but I think she couldn't, no, writers, but I think she couldn't really control that at the time because yeah. you need to be financed. But for Kim's Convenience, just hearing how the Korean show, the Korean um, producer kind of got like cut out, and a, the majority white I male writers. Yeah, they sabotaged season five. Because so I, I thought season five was very poor. They reinforced a lot of cheap stereotypes. And I was like, I wonder why. And then. Season five is that on Netflix? Um, I, you know what? I. I think, or is it season four? So the latest season, it is on Netflix, at least on UK Netflix. It should be out in US Netflix, I'm I, assuming. Okay, I didn't know, because um, we knew that they were airing in Canada, waiting for the new season to come out on Netflix. So like, yeah. Ooh, sorry, sorry. I'm talking about like season one, two. No, it's okay, that's good to know. I can go yeah, watch it now. I mean, it's, it's still good, but also I'm sorry not to go there, but like in both of those shows, still like white people. I mean, I yeah. know for Never Have I Ever, the dude, I forgot his name. He's like in his 30s, by the way, which is like, oh. 
wow, okay. But he's still like mixed. He's mixed race, but he's still white. Like she's still going after like white dudes. And I, I know I'm being so nitpicky here, but like for, I would just love to see a show where like there's no white focus at all. Is that possible? Like, can we get that? Can we get that level? Emily's just like, I, I, I talk about this all the time, so. <laughs> I'm thinking about like Insecure, Issa Rae created oh. the show. Yes. I love Insecure. Same. Oh, amazing. And yeah, sorry, keep going. No, no, no. Um, I think but, like when you were like, where are there very minimal to none white folks? I think about Insecure. I think about how Issa Rae, I don't know much about like who directed and everything. I know that she's just had a heavy hand in the show um, yeah. because I used to watch her when she was doing like her YouTube series for Awkward. Yeah. Oh, that was really funny. But she did end up with the white guy in that too. Funny enough. <laughs> Did she really? In the YouTube series, yeah. The What was oh. it, like, Funny Awkward Girl? Yes, she did. Yeah. You're right. I forgot about that. So she, like, you know, used that platform. So it just sounds like there's a continuous need for the platform or the starting off point to be in break into media. It sounds like you have to appeal to the white folks. And then once you do that long <sighs> enough, you can kind of stem off. I even think about, like, actors, uh, sorry, singers and songwriters yeah it's i mean it just bleeds in i actually didn't even think about white people would think of shows with like um you know people of color people of color being leads but i guess i mean that does make sense because like on the flip side i remember my mom when i was in high school or whenever mean girls came out my mom watched it and she was like oh my god emily is this what high school is like i was like no (laughs) can you imagine And I was just like, wow. So like, I guess, I mean, so the opposite would make sense, especially for people in America watching shows about people, you know, like immigrants and stuff like that. Cause I, it's, I mean, it's not a show, but I remember watching, cause I follow a lot of like dog YouTube things. And there was one about uh, the, like the Yulin festival where they, you know, they torture and eat dogs. And I'm not entirely sure, like, if that's, like, a city or, like, a general area in China. But then the comments were flooded with people being like, oh, this is why all Chinese people suck or something like that. And I was just, I was just like, that's as if, like, one random town in Kentucky was doing the same thing. And then you blame all of Americans, you know, like, it doesn't make sense. So, like, people who... Like, of course, they, they probably don't even do their own research about, like, where this thing is actually happening. So, like, I could see a lot of people watching one thing about something they've never seen before and then just judging completely on that. Like, not everybody, of course, but I could see, like, a good subsect of people just seeing it and being like, that's what they're like, which is dumb. (laughs) Yeah. That's the part that's so hard. It's, like, the perception aspect. You can't really control how other people will view it and, like, how their own beliefs will come into play or be reinforced from watching stuff like that. And, like, on the flip side, for someone else, it could be the most positive image that they've seen because they feel seen. Yeah. I think this is... We were talking about this, like, a few weeks back, how you need to consciously consume media. So if you watch, like, a show based in India, don't assume that show represents all of India. It's just... This is, like, one tiny segment that someone is choosing to show you. Um, Kind of, like, do your due diligence and don't make assumptions but i mean but then again if it's friday night you want to watch trash tv you just kind (laughs) of like watch whatever and don't even you know think about like oh maybe this actor is portrayed in this way because of xyz you're just like whatever what what do you like what would you two like to see in in the media and what do you particularly like about it now if you 
do like it. There's one thing that I do like. You know the show? It's also on Netflix, uh, To All the Boys, right? With uh, Lana Condor, I think. Yeah. Like, I, I mm-hmm. like a normal person. Like, mm. I, th- I think there it's good for shows to show, like, different cultures and stuff. But it's also nice when it's not based around that. It's, it's just an Asian person and her normal life. I don't remember there being any references to her cultural background all that much. And she was just living her normal life as, like, a high schooler. And she's doing all the normal things, like, cooking dinner with her family. And she's, like, having fun with her friends. And it's, like, I think in the third season or whatever, she, they do go have a trip to Korea. Um, yeah. But it, it was cool just being, like, it's not, she's not in the show because she's Asian. She's in the show because she's an actress. I thought that was really nice. It's also, just, like, the third movie was normal. bad. Sorry. So sorry. <laughs> I was so disappointed. Yeah, and I like I like the actress. Like, she's she's very like, she's very outgoing and, and normal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I feel mixed about it. Very I'm I'm a skeptical person. So I've enjoyed like there's a few series on Amazon that are based in India and Indian like brown women, brown actresses, and brown people like writing and directing. And those have like those two shows that I'm thinking of have been very powerful. Uh, in terms of like not only just senior representation, but they talk about things like sex and love and relationships and beauty as well. And that's been really reinforcing to like who I am as a brown woman in this, this space, in this world that we're living in. And that's been very helpful. And then on the flip side, it's like, I'm getting actually really aggravated and tired that like actors and actresses and songwriters and like, people musicians have to it feels like have to get in with the white culture and the white norms before they can break off and do their own thing because like it's it's like well you were fantastic before you did that and I can't imagine where your art would have been if you were able to just be in your own space and be you from the beginning so it's a little bit of like I love it but I don't love it at the same time because I want and wish and hope that we get to a point where it's like, you don't have to be accepted by white culture. You can just do what you think is the right artistic move and you can start go. There's a lot of emotional labor that will go into it probably for decades because like you have to continuously like have a conversation, have these types of conversations to continuously say like, no, like we need to create the space. You need to build a community regardless of if there's like white monetary backing or not because it's just so i mean it, it's just so ridiculous to me that like we're considered the minority when we're literally not and we need that backing of the white minority support it's just it, it's just so bizarre but then when you have like generations and generations of like a head start then yeah it's gonna be like this so yeah some, sometimes this, yeah yeah it's like generation of a head start but then also systems in place so strategically that reinforce the generations of um the generational wealth of white people i i do want to know how you both practice self-care i know emily said last time but it's still nice to hear again okay well self-care i think is just you know doing what makes you happy and like you know sometimes i are one of our mutual friends was talking about how she needs to learn how to, you know, say no more often to other people because you don't have to use your energy on things you don't want to do. So if your mm. self-care is just to lounge on the couch, you know, cook a nice meal for yourself, ignore your phone the whole day, like that's what you should do, you know. And I think you should just do things where you find enjoyment because if you feel your like self being saying like, oh, I feel like I have to say yes to helping out this person, but you really don't want to, just say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it is yeah. okay to say no. Yeah. Um, 
you know, use your energy wisely, especially when like, you know, we're all getting older and we don't have that much energy to give anymore. And then you should use it on yourself, even if it's your best friend. Like if you really don't have the energy for him or her that day, you know, just let them know. And them as your best friend will understand that you need that time to yourself. And so, you know, for me, I, I like, you know, going out. So like my, I'll self care by like, you know, bring my dog out for a walk. We go on hikes, definitely do the treat yourself too often. You know, like if I see like something I really want, I'll be like, I'm going to buy it or I'm going to eat it. And like, you know, I always have a great time because I'm caring about myself. I'm not worrying about, you know, oh, what if this person needs me or what am I doing? What is this person thinking? You know, I try, I block all of that out and I'm like, this is, this is my time. I'm going to do what I want. And I always have a great time. Yes. Love it. Um, I'm very, my definition of self-care, like the things that I do can change. And this year has taught me that, like the things that I love to do um, in the past aren't things that I love to do now. So for me, like my definition of self-care is just listening to what my body wants and what my intuition is telling me I need. And like very, those two simple things. What is my, or three, what does my body want? What does my heart want? What is my um, intuition saying, my soul saying? And that's what I try to lean towards um, and follow. So like self-care one day could be like, me getting on a train and going to Providence to visit Emily and which has happened uh literally decided like the two days before or like self-care <laughs> oh, could so be nice. like yeah or like self-care could be like you know me sitting on the couch watching tv so it's just like listening to what my, my like my heart my body and my soul is telling me to do thank you so much and I would love to do this again